Love to Paul was like a diamond on black velvet that he just kept holding up and, and showing from different angles. He'd get before the church there at Ephesus, way too old at that point to pastor, and he would say, children of God, little children, love each other, love each other. They thought he was getting senile. They thought he was losing it. And finally, they said, preacher, why do you just keep telling us to love one another? He said, because that's what the master told us to do. And he said, we can't do enough of it. How true that is and how it's echoed in this brief passage here in Romans chapter 13 today, in a world of hate, we need love. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Romans once again, and the 13th chapter, where we're up to at this point. And we have seen the Apostle Paul writing from Corinth, addressing a number of subjects. And guess what? He's going to get back on love again. Love to Paul was like a diamond on black velvet that he just kept holding up and and showing from different angles. And he's going to show some other things about love today, and we're going to look at them. We've been on this subject before, but it's different this time. So follow along closely, if you would. In Romans chapter 13, just three verses, beginning in verse 8, the Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I've entitled this back to love again, back to love again. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now, Lord, for this time in your word. We thank you for this glorious passage. Though brief, it says so much. Help us to listen carefully. This is such an important time. Help us to get truth down into our hearts. That will help us through the day, yea, through the week, and through life. And so, Father, we do pray now for open, receptive hearts and listening ears. And, Father, for you to work in our hearts in our lives, in our families, and in our church that we might affect society We pray now and ask for your help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you know church history, this isn't really recorded in the Bible, but of the 12 apostles, 11 of them died violent deaths, suffered martyrdom. One of them didn't. Now, according to history, the emperor tried to kill him. Of course, that apostle I'm speaking of was John. John, after the resurrection of Christ, of course, he had been at the foot of the cross and been given the assignment of of watching over Mary, the human mother of Jesus here on this earth, which he did faithfully, according to historians from the city of Ephesus, where he also pastored. He pastored that church faithfully for many years, and then he was taken captive uh, by the emperor and and put in Patmos, which was uh, the end of nowhere, basically a copper mine where God gave him a revelation on a Sunday morning, which he wrote for us, thankfully, 
and we still have it with us to this day. But history also tells us that John eventually got off that island. He went back to Ephesus, and he aged there. He was already old, but he aged there, and he had a a favorite text, a favorite, I guess, expression to love each other. Love each other. He'd get before the church there at Ephesus, way too old at that point to pastor, and he would say, children of God, little children, love each other. Love each other. They thought he was getting senile. They thought he was losing it. And finally, they said, Preacher, why do you just keep telling us to love one another? He said, because that's what the Master told us to do. And he said, we can't do enough of it. How true that is and how it's echoed in this brief passage here in Romans chapter 13 today. In a world of hate, we need love. In a world of violence, in a world of of rape and murder and, and larceny and and drunkenness. We need love. In a world of immorality and perversion and fornication, in a world of cheating, in a a world of lying, all kinds of vice, we desperately need love. You know, we can talk about love, but what are we doing to promote it? What are we doing to foster and and cultivate it? There have been songs written about it. There have been movies uh, videoed about it. There have been all kinds of books written about it, and yet so little is being done about it. Folks will talk about it and turn around and fight with their friends and fight with their co-workers and fight with their family, all the while talking about love. And the reason for that is because we're sinners. We are depraved. Somebody so well said that if depravity were blue, we'd be blue all over the place. Everybody would be walking around blue because we are depraved. Now, last time we took a look at verses 1 through 7, and there we saw that the Bible taught us how to be good citizens. Remember that? How to obey authorities and so on. We, we dealt with that. How to be good citizens. These three verses today talk about how to be good Christians. Let's narrow it down. As good Christians, we find here that the subject is love, and so it's back to love again. Let's take a look at it here. We find three things in these three verses, and I call the first one the Lord's requirement. The Lord's requirement. Notice verse 8, if you would, with me. It says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, notice verse 8 begins out by saying, Owe no man anything. What a country we live in. We can walk out of our mortgaged houses and, and sit in our finance cars and go to stores and charge stuff on credit cards, and, and uh, we just get further and further and further in debt. But this verse says, owe no man anything. That's odd. What does verse 8 mean? Well, does it mean we should refuse to borrow? No matter what, we're not going to borrow anything. We're not going to charge anything on a credit card. We're not even going to borrow a book from the library. I mean, we are just not going to owe any man anything. Is that what it means? Or is it referring to paying our debts on time? In other words, owe no man anything. If you owe them something, pay them. Now, ideally, and I've taught finances to this church, I've taught it in the Bible college, and and this is just my personal opinion, but I don't think we should really incur any debt except a home and only temporarily because the alternative is going to cost us more. But the Bible doesn't necessarily poo-poo borrowing. We we read that verse, oh, no man, anything. We go, okay, we should never borrow. Well, then we'd have a problem with verses like this. Psalm 112.5 says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. So the Bible here does speak about borrowing and lending. Here's another one. Deuteronomy 15.8 
says, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him. It's talking about lending to somebody. And shall surely lend him sufficient for his need. We find borrowing, we find lending, we find surety, which is interest, mentioned all over the Bible. In fact, in I think First Kings or Second Kings, we find Elisha, who's helping some Bible college students, no less, build their Bible college, and they're chopping away at a tree, and the axe head goes flying, and the Bible college student goes, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. In other words, I'd borrowed that thing, and how am I going to give it back now? It's out there in the, in the lake. Remember the story. Is, uh, is your neighbor's rake in your garage right now? or his mower, or something from a friend. That's called borrowing. That's called borrowing. Now, if you keep it too long, it's called stealing, okay? So it's okay to borrow. But keep this thought in mind. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you owe somebody money right now, Who's your daddy, (laughs) okay? The bank, okay? The borrower is servant to the lender. Now, let me show you what verse 8 is really talking about, okay? It says, owe no man anything. Actually, that's a verb, and it's in the present tense. So let's break it down, because the Greek language is is so specific for us. It's, It's saying, really here, not to compound debt on top of debt. In other words, if you have debt already, don't keep on owing. It's in the present continuing tense. Uh, If you have a credit card, pay that credit card off every month. Don't keep compounding money on top of it. And and, and pay it back and pay it back on time. By the way, I teach this in our finance class. Don't ever run from your creditors. That is the most foolish thing that you can do. You're, You're just multiplying the problems there. Run to your creditors. You don't need the wolf showing up at the door, knocking and and harassing you. And they normally won't if you just communicate with them. I've been in that that situation with people owing me money. All you want for them is just to communicate with you and say, okay, I've hit hard times, I've lost my job, here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do to pay you back. Don't run from your creditors. Run to your creditors. Now, Psalm 37.21 says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. You know what God says about not paying somebody what we owe them? It's wicked. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But if, if the payment is on time, I don't find anything in the Bible that says it's a sin to borrow money. It's not a sin to borrow. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, we find that Christ gives quite a discourse there about borrowing. And then in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42, he even says this, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And so, biblically speaking, in the truest sense, Romans 13.8 is not saying you should never borrow. Actually, verse 8 is giving to us a contrast. Here's what it is. It's saying, owe no man anything but, there is a contrast, to love one another. Now, what's the point the Holy Spirit's making here. Well, he's saying here that when it comes to a financial debt, it should be temporal. Uh, we should borrow if we have to, but, but have a plan to pay that back. It's only a temporary thing. When it comes to love, there's a contrast. But to love, that, that never ends. That's not temporal. You don't say, well, I, you know, uh, I, I loved Josh last week, and, and uh, now I don't have to anymore. You know, that kind of thing. 
No, it, it never ends. I love that person, but now I've, I, I, I've, I've fulfilled my debt. No. Uh, we never fulfill the debt to love. We sing that song at, at the cross, and I like that. And it says, but drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. We're talking about love here. And Isaac Watts got it right. Nothing can repay the debt of love we owe because love is an eternal debt. It, it is something that never ends. We, we sing that song, I will sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. What debt is the songwriter there talking about? Well, we saw it back in Romans 1.14 where Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. He says both to the wise and to the unwise. He's talking here about a debt that he had as a Christian person now to get the gospel to everybody else. Hudson Taylor many years ago was a great missionary to uh, China, the inland of China. And he was, he was making this appeal for missionaries to come over to China and help. And nobody was really responding. There was one man who showed up with one leg. And Hudson Taylor looked at him and he said, well, why are you going to China with one leg? The man said, I have a debt to pay. And it appears that nobody else is really interested about paying their debt. Folks, if we have been saved, we have a debt a debt to tell other people. And Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. In other words, everybody. All these lost people outside these four walls, folks, we have a debt to them. We have a a story to tell them. If we have been born again, how can we keep it to ourselves? It would be spiritual manslaughter, really, wouldn't it? To let so many people slip out into a Christless eternity. Imagine, if you would, that you had this affliction that you were dealing with. The pain was unbearable. You, you couldn't sleep. You were just trying to get through life. But you read somewhere on the Internet that there's, there's somebody over in Europe, for example. They have the solution. They have the cure for this. And so you begin to save. And you saved and saved and say, oh, the days were grueling waiting to get enough money, but you, you, you got enough money together. You flew over to Europe. That guy began to treat you over there. And after about four nights, you're sleeping again. Oh, boy, that feels good. After about a week or two, the pain is gone. And you go, my, this is the most wonderful news in the world. You come back stateside, a few weeks go by, and you hear of somebody who has the very same issue as you. Now, if you were to keep it to yourself, if you knew about this person over in Europe, but you just kept it to yourself, what would you think of that? You know where I'm going with this. You know, there are many of you, you remember what you are like before you got saved. We call it B.C., before Christ, right? Back before you were saved, what were you like? You know, I... I spent nearly the first 21 years of my life pursuing business, uh, pursuing money, kind of just going with the herd, you know, like everybody else, not really knowing why we're here, what life's all about, where we came from, certainly not where we're going when we die, looking up at the stars at night at a limitless universe and wondering where that space ends and having no clue what happens when this life is over. Who's out there? Well, you'd have a funeral come up and, and it'd make you think about it all the more, but you just kind of put it away for, for a while. 
and you just keep living like a heathen and dealing with the guilt along the way, but ignoring it. I mean, the whole herd's going in that direction, right? Pretty much everyone's living this way. They can't all be wrong. But along the way, at some point, at least for me, I, I got to thinking there's got to be something more to life than this. Pretty futile, pretty piddly and shallow. I felt distant from God. I wondered where he was. I wished I could get into religion, as I put it back in those days. And long story made short, in late fall of, of 1980, somebody cared enough to pay their debt. They had gotten saved, somebody I knew. They started witnessing to me, gave me the gospel. At first, I got offended. <laughs> and secondly, I thought they'd been brainwashed, sucked in, taken in. But they were relentless, giving me tracts and information until finally God had a catalyst, something to work with. Faith cometh by hearing. And the gospel got into my hands, and in March of 1981, I got saved. Now, I owe a debt. I owe a debt. If you have a testimony of salvation similar, you owe a debt. There's people all over this town, all over this world, They've tried other things. They've tried education. They've tried degrees. They've tried careers. They've tried relationships. There they live in despair, trying all these things. None of it's satisfying. Stuffing it into their hearts like a, a, a black hole, an empty hole that nothing can fulfill. And they're trying all this stuff. And, and they come up empty. They come up hopeless. And we have the news. We have the good news. That's what gospel means. We have a debt to tell them. Now, who are we to tell? Notice again verse 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I emphasize the word another on purpose. Is that the same word? It's in there twice in verse 8, another, another. You say, well, of course it's the same word, another. I thought that for years until I did a little digging. Do you know those are two totally different words in the Greek? And here's what's so interesting about it. One another is a lelon, and it means people like you. So we're to love people like you. You're to love other folks that are like you. They're common. They, they're friends. They're acquaintances. They're relatives. And, and they're not tough to love. The other word is not a lelon. It's heteros. It doesn't even sound the same. The second another means people who are totally polar opposites of you. You could look it up for yourself in your Strong's Concordance. I mean, they think different because they might be different gender, they might be different age, they might have different political affiliations, and they're totally different, and you might not even like them. But you're not only supposed to love one another as far as folks who are like you, but you're to love one another, speaking of people who are totally different from you. That's what that second another is all about. We tend to stick with the safe crowd, the comfortable crowd, the people like us. That's not what the verse says. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth one another, those other people, those different people, that's something. I'll never forget the illustration I told years ago of, a, of an invitation given in a church like this, and people who flooded toward the altar, and the pastor who stood back in amazement and noted that there was a prestigious judge there on the altar, well known in that area, had a testimony for decades of, of his, his integrity. And next to him, there was a Chinese laundry man. I mean, nobody knew who he was. And society had cast him as somebody lowly. But the ground is level at the cross, folks. We are to love one another. For he that loveth one another, even those kind of people, as we would say, that's fulfilling 
the law. That's what the last part of verse number 8 says. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Reminds me of a verse in Galatians 5.14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Imagine taking 613 or 631, I forget what it was, all these laws and, and, and binding them together in one bundle. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the Lord's requirement. But secondly, we see what I call the law's recap. In other words, here's the rundown. Here's the roundup. Here's the summary. Here's, here's the essence of the law. We're going to see it in verse 9 in just a moment. But this business about loving our neighbor, that's not a New Testament thing. That's not a, just a Jesus thing, a, a more recent thing. No. Back in Leviticus 19.18, God says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So all these New Testament places, and even where John kept saying it over and over again to the church folks at Ephesus, they're quoting way back in the Old Testament. This is, this is something God said from the get-go. Love thy neighbor as thyself. In fact, Jesus called it the second greatest commandment. Remember that? You know what the first one was. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, there are some things about love true love, that are not permitted. There are some things that true love will not allow. We find them in verse 9, okay? For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What's the apostle doing here? Well, he's quoting, first of all, the uh, seventh commandment. And then he's quoting after that the sixth commandment. And then he's quoting the eighth and ninth and tenth commandment in that order. So he's got five out of ten. He's got half the commandments mentioned here. And he's saying, I think at least, is that if you really love people, you won't do this, you won't do that. He's mentioned all the thou shalt nots. You're not going to do this to him, you're not going to do that to him. And the first one he mentions here is adultery. Notice that in verse number 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. It's clear. It's obvious. It's saying that sex outside the sanctity of marriage, no exceptions, is wrong. Any type of sex outside of the sanctity of marriage is a perversion of what God intended it for to be. We find this verse in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. Now, the Bible doesn't say that about every sin, but when it comes to this one, it's kind of like it's the scarlet sin, and God singles it out, and he says, run from it like a poisonous snake. Flee fornication. Why? Well, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's like God says, "You're, you're doing yourself in here. Let me just say this. Don't you let anyone, don't you let anyone lure you into adultery or lure you into fornication and call it love. It's not. It's not. I'll say that again. Don't you let anyone lure you into adultery or fornication and try 
to convince you it's love. It is not. It is a fulfillment of the lust of the flesh, period, plain and simple. Oh, the devil's clever. He likes to gift wrap sin, doesn't he? And boy, leave it to Hollywood and leave it to the entertainment industry. Big screen, small screen, prime time to, 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 to act like it's no big deal. Even have comedies about it of, of desperate housewives running around and, and, and having affairs. The Bible says fools make a mock at sin, folks. And the Bible says that uh, marriage is honorable and all and the marriage bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. In fact, we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers. Notice those words, be not deceived. Why? Because the devil is so deceptive. Society is so deceptive. Society just poo-poo's. It's no big deal. Adultery, fornication. Everybody has a part-time love. And just love the one you're with if you can't be with the one you love. And all these songs, all this stupidity saying it's not a big deal. The Bible says that fornicators and adulterers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Apparently, there's something big to this. And so when they come along and say, well, it's love. No, it's not. It's selfishness. Oh, it's love. No, it's self-gratification. That's all it is. Plain and simple. We read this in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not behave itself unseemly and seeketh not her own. That's true love. We're talking about love here. It's back to love here again. When David seduced Bathsheba and had an affair with her, was that love? No, it wasn't. It was wicked. When he had her husband Uriah murdered, was that love? No, that was evil. That was awful. Now, again, Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee fornication, that every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Why? Well, several reasons. I think, for starters, it defies a, a, an inward knowledge that God has wired us with. We know it's wrong. Now, the animals, they don't know it's wrong. And, and so they just kind of just go around and, you know. But we're not animals. We're not animals. Somebody saw a bumper sticker on a car in Denver that said, wanted, meaningful overnight relationship. Well, sorry, Charlie. It's anything but that. Nothing meaningful about it. That's animal stuff, okay? That's what the animals do. There's no such thing. But another reason we're to flee fornication is because it defiles the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we are a child of God, God lives inside of us, and we are defiling the temple of God. We're defiling ourselves. We are desensitizing ourselves. By the way, that kind of behavior, moral behavior, it really eats away at a person. And, and, and they can say, oh, it doesn't bother me. Oh, no, it, it does. Proverbs 6.32 says, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. It's self-destruction of the soul. And, and the, the sin of reaching out for forbidden fruit has got many a person into a jam, as somebody so well said. Forbidden fruit. And so it mentions, first of all, in verse number 9, adultery. But then it says, it goes on, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. You say, well, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm free of that one. But in Matthew 5, remember what Christ said? He said, if you've even hated somebody, been mad at somebody, bitter towards somebody, it's murder of the heart, plain and simple. Now, 1 John 3.15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. In other words, if you walk around that thing and there's no victory over it, are you saved? That's what John is saying here. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Back in October of 1983, way back, the magazine Psychology Today said, if you could just secretly push a button, there were no repercussions, nobody knew about it, would you eliminate somebody from the earth? You know that 70% of all men said, yep. And 55% of all women said, yep. And it ranged from the president to the the boss to the ex-husband or whatever it might be. Remember what Christ said. He equated it with murder of the heart here. Now, verse 9 goes on, says, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. I mentioned a moment ago, if you have your neighbor's rake in your, your garage and has been there a long time, that's stealing, okay? If you have a chair at your home or a songbook from the church at your home that you didn't pay for, that is stealing. If you are taking too long a coffee breaks or lunch breaks, you're stealing the boss's time. There's all kinds of ways to look at this. You know, we look at it as somebody, you know, coming in with, uh, with a mask on into a store and robbing it. You know, we, we've seen that recently in our area. Even the, the CVS store on the way home where I live got robbed this last week. The question is, is, is that done out of love? Is stealing done out of love? When we started building this new building here over to the east, we had extension cords out there, and we had them even I, I fastened to the, the plywood. Somebody went in there one night and stole one. Now, the only way they could get out of there was to cut it, and it was plugged in. <laughs> I hate to see what their scissors or their hatchet looks like. But I thought to myself, you've got to be pretty hard up for 12 bucks worth of copper to come in here and, you know, just why don't you get a job? Now, there's a novel thought, huh? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier and a lot less stressful? You know, just go W-O-R-K. Work. But people who, who steal are thieves, plain and simple. Or they're too lazy, uh, too selfish. They've been irresponsible with money. They have a drug problem. They need money. But it's not love. Never has been love. It's being a thief. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4.15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. Now let's break it down a little bit, okay? In Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Bible says a false balance is abomination to the Lord. It's talking about dishonesty here. We are guilty of stealing if we are even dishonest. It's mentioning that false balance there. Let's break it down even further. The worst kind of thievery is what? What do you think it is? Well, in Malachi 3.8, it says, Will a man rob God? God says, You should rob me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? God says, In tithes and offerings. If you sit here today with God's tithe money in your bank account, I'm sorry, this is sensitive, but you're a thief. You're stealing. Plain and simple, you're breaking that commandment. Well, anyway, that went over like a lead balloon. Verse 9 goes on. It talks about a false balance, or a false witness. I'm sorry, thou shalt not bear false witness. False witness is lying, okay? Uh, When we lie, we are 
breaking that commandment, the ninth commandment. In fact, you can't put two terms together, Christian liar. I, I, I'm a Christian liar. Really? Uh, no, they don't go together. And love and lying don't go together either. Society makes it a trivial thing, a petty thing, a, 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 a frivolous thing, just, just piddly. But you know what the Bible says about lying in Revelation 21.8? All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Lying is serious according to God. Whatever that remedy is, whatever the cure is, boy, the liar better find it. Lying is embezzling or embellishing facts. It is, it is assuming stuff. Well, I, I think that they did this and spreading it. That is a lie. It's making people look bad. And love doesn't do that, okay? That's not love. In fact, in Psalm 141.3, the psalmist said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That's love. God help me not to lie. Help me not to say things I shouldn't. Well, finally, in verse number 9, the 10th commandment is mentioned, Thou shalt not covet. Wanting what we don't have, wanting what somebody else has, Wanting something God doesn't want us to have, is that spawned by love? Of course not. No, it's spawned by discontentment, actually. The human heart is never satisfied. In Luke chapter 12, 15, Christ said, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Beware of covetousness. It can trip any of us up. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your life or conversation or lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. There's the secret to overcoming covetousness. Be content. We desperately need help, the help of God to be content and to be satisfied. And so we find here that the apostle talking about love says it doesn't line up. It doesn't jive with these things mentioned here. And he gives us part of the law. And by the way, that law is enough to show us what sinners we are and why we need a Savior. If, if all liars have their part in the lake which burneth with fire, we'd all be in hell. What's the remedy for that? The remedy is the shed blood of Christ. It's not the baptistry water. It's not joining a church. It's not doing good works. It's not even trying to keep the commandments. It's realizing from the commandments we are hopeless, helpless, hell-bound sinners in need of a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Thank God. The law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Well, the last part of verse number 9 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. God takes 613 commandments and he sums them up. And the basic bottom line is we're to love one another as we do ourselves. In this cold, heartless, uncaring world of ours, we as Christian people ought to show love. We've looked at, first of all, the Lord's requirement, secondly, the law's recap, and finally, love's realization. The fulfillment, the realization, the, the attainment or the achievement, the performance of love in verse 10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. There's nothing more attractive than love. There's nothing more repulsive than the absence of love. In the Bible, we find a, a hate-driven man by the name of Haman. He hates Mordecai. He orders a gallows 75 feet tall to be built. And the last scene we have of, 
of Haman as him hanging on his own gallows instead of Mordecai. He became a victim of hate. Hate is an ugly thing. Hate. There was a wealthy Philadelphia woman who knew she was dying. And when her will was read after she died, she left a dollar to her husband. Actually, she didn't leave it to her husband. She left it to an investor to say, invest this dollar in whatever interest it makes. Give it to my husband. <laughs> That's hate. There was another woman out did that. She left her husband five bucks to go buy a rope and hang himself. Hate, 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 hate. We find hate in the Middle East. We find hate in third world countries, in Africa. In the Arab world, we certainly find hate. We find war in the world because there's war in the human heart. We live in a hate-filled world. But verse 10 says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So true love doesn't think evil toward others, doesn't wish evil upon others. Do you ever wish evil upon others? Doesn't plan evil, doesn't practice evil. In fact, real love seeks to help those we don't really like, high-maintenance people we don't really get along with, and we're not even to withhold good from them. We read in Proverbs 3.27, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. That's love, folks. Can you think of somebody that you could love in that way today? You know, the love chapter in the Bible, most of us know where it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that real love is kind. That means it doesn't snap at the spouse. It's not short. It's not curt with that, that child. It, uh, it's patient. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not prideful. And these are summing up, basically, 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's not a selfish thing. By the way, it's not touchy. Touchy people are lacking love. It's, it's not glad when an enemy even gets hurt. It's, it, it puts up with all things. It endures all things. It has faith and so on and so forth. That's real love. Now, James 2.20, or James 2.8 says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the royal, regal law of God. And by the way, when we live like that, what an attractive thing that is to the world. What an attractive thing. What an appealing thing. What a, a, a drawing effect that has to folks that know us. There's a London magazine that uh, has trouble collecting sometimes from its clients. They get in arrears of their debt. And, and so they will send out notices to pay their debt. It's past due and so on. If that person continues to ignore that debt... They have a guy by the name of Andy. Andy is a hired guy. He's hired in a special way because of the fact he has no sense of scent anymore. He can't smell anything. His, his, his sniffer is totally dead. He's got this rain jacket that's 22 years old. It's permeated with, with, with smell of rotten eggs and skunk and every other putrid and awful smell you can imagine. And they send Andy out to collect the debt there to the office of the person who owes them. And he sits in that office until he collects it. And he has nearly a 100% collection success rate. Now, as believers, we ought to be totally the opposite. We ought to be a, a pleasing spiritual fragrance because of our love. We ought to be attractive to sinners. We, we ought to show them the sweetness of, of the Rose of Sharon, the, 
uh, aroma of the lily of the valley to them with the life that we're living, and it ought to be a life of love. It's, it's such a powerful thing. It's such an appealing thing. It's such an attractive thing that it attracts sinners. And that's, that's why I believe the age of John, not senile at all, but very grizzled and experienced and a veteran at the Christian life, the last link to the Savior back there in the first century would get up before that congregation over and over again at Ephesus, and he would say, children, love one another, love one another. Now, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's in the waning years of his life. He's writing, really, the Christian Constitution, the book of Romans. It's just the Magna Carta of the Bible. And he's talked about so many things. He's zigzagged back and forth, but he keeps zigging back to love, doesn't he? Back to love once again. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.